Gender. Body acceptance. Abortion. Sex. Racial justice. Feminism. Birth. Parenthood. Stigma. Bodily autonomy. And more. This is Reproductive Left by Mabel Watzer Center, an independent feminist nonprofit comprehensive healthcare provider in Bangor, Maine. Join us as we explore topics that impact our sexual and reproductive health and lives. Here's your host, Aspen Rulin. Aspen uses they, them pronouns and is our client and community advocate. I use they, them pronouns, and this is Reproductive Left. Today, we'll be talking to Samat Abdurraqib, a phenomenal poet uh, who's here to share some of her feminist poetry. Uh, Samat spent most of her life in the Midwest and has spent the last decade loving and living on Wabanaki slash Abenaki land. She currently resides in Portland, Maine. Samat has always loved words reading them, hearing them, writing them, and has had the privilege of seeing her words in print in a variety of places, including academic collections like Bad Girls and Transgressive Women in Popular Television, Fiction, and Film, 2017, online platforms like The Body is Not an Apology, which I've actually talked about in previous episodes, and poetry collections like Enough, Poems of Resistance and Protest, 2020. Since 2017, Samad has been focused on writing poetry, which represents a return to the form after a 20-year hiatus. Each Day is Like an Anchor, 2020, is her first published collection of poetry. After working in Maine's domestic violence movement for five years, Samad has just taken on a position as the Associate Director of the Maine Humanities Council, and she's so excited to be talking about literature and writing at work. Samad, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Aspen. Uh, Do you want to get right into it and share your first poem with us? Sure, that would be wonderful. Um, uh, I'm so excited to be here talking about poetry. Um, I could talk about poetry all day and all night. So thank you for having me and thank you for giving me space to read some poems. Um, The first poem I'm going to read is a poem called Eid al-Fitr 2018. And Eid is the celebration that comes at the end of the month of Ramadan where Muslims um, fast. And so it's, it's, it's the, the holiday, the celebration marking the end of Ramadan. And we are recording this in April um, 2020, which is we are currently in the month of Ramadan. So I felt like this was fitting. 2021. It's okay. I keep thinking it's 2020 as well. <laughs> You're not alone. Um, yes, I had meant to say Ramadan Mubarak. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And to all our listeners, even though you'll be hearing this late. Thank you. Um, Okay, so this poem is called Eid al-Fitr, 2018. Today is Eid. This morning, I watch as prayer goers walk through the park, quickening their steps towards what is spread out and wait for them. Prayer rugs, donuts, blessings, bags of gifts. I do not smell the roses before the memory comes, but it comes regardless, and I am taken by surprise. You and I are walking hand in hand, through the rose garden. I am small and it is Eid. 
and we are rushing to join the ranks of the colorful. I did not expect you to come to me in this way. I was not unaware of convergences, but I did not see my body in this intersection. Today is the anniversary of your death. I've been wallowing in sad songs for over a week now. I've not been looking for you. I've been nursing a different sort of tired grief. This morning, while watching the prayer goers, I queued up the playlist that has been my company for the past week, pulling me down into familiar crevices. As I sit in my car at the light, pausing beside the parade of prayer goers, I remember our prayer path, and I realize that you are in my playlist. I wonder if you have always been there. It's been hours since these morning moments. I cannot get my heart back on track. I cannot recalibrate. I am catapulted forward in phantom ways. Perhaps you are always with me, perhaps not. Perhaps you are always compelling me, perhaps not. I know that I am never sure where to find you outside of the obvious places. I know that I am never prepared when you reveal yourself to me. Thank you. And that is a, a poem about my, my mother. My mother passed in 1997. That poem, first off, I just have to say, I know I have questions for you about it, but that poem just gave me goosebumps. It was so beautiful and so... I don't know how to put it into words. Basically, it was like very simple and straightforward while having just a lot of layers of meaning. Um, yeah, and like I said, gave me goosebumps. So oh. loss is clearly a big theme in the poem that you just shared. How often does that theme come up in your work? And what other themes would you say play a really big role in your poetry? That's such a good question. You know, I, I, I go through periods in talking about uh of talking about loss i mean i when i first started writing again i wrote a lot about my um i also wrote a lot about my um my mother's sister my aunt who passed really um really tragically in 2017 and um and um, I think through the writing process, I, I like was working through the grief of losing my aunt and and losing my mother and losing, you know, and um, that relationship that the two of them had, even though my mother had passed decades ago. And so so loss does actually show up usually in the form of writing about my mother or my or my, my family. I also I, you know, I think I think. I think I would say instead of loss, maybe maybe grief. I think I write about grief in different ways. You know, I have some poems that are about like leaving the Midwest, and and there's some grief in that that I didn't realize I was going to have. Like there's some loss in that, loss in that in there, um, grief there. Um, I think that you know, you asked about what other themes play a role. I mean, I write about, I write about blackness. I write about being Muslim. I write about my family. I write about, a lot about nature. Um, I, I think I often, the most poignant for me poems that I end up writing are about some sort of vulnerability because this return to poetry for me has been a way that I can push, I can just push past whatever blocks, blockages I have around being vulnerable and being able to share 
vulnerable parts of myself without being overly self-conscious and censoring myself too much. And so, um, and so I think that grief and loss tend to feel very, very vulnerable to me. Um, so maybe that's why I write about them often. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. And as someone who writes poetry myself, you know, that grief and loss as a common theme, I mean, I feel like that's that's common in a lot of poetry across the spectrum. Um, and I think, yeah, it's just such a good medium to, like you said, to be able to be vulnerable without centering yourself too much and without being too self-conscious. I think it can be not just a type of art, but also really therapeutic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, and I think that it's a, there's a way, like when you, you know, when you just said that it, that um, grief and loss shows up in a lot of poetry. I think that there's there's some sort of there's some sort of way that it taps into something that's really like a source of empathy or something really empathetic in a reader or and so even if you are even if it is about like this one is about the loss of my mother there's a way that it resonates in a certain kind of way that people, I think, um, find some connection because most of us have experienced some kind of loss, maybe not apparent, um, but, you know, most of us have moments where we remember someone that we've lost. Um, and I just think it's a, it connects to audiences really powerfully. Yeah. Yeah. As you know, someone who just listened to that poem and someone who has never celebrated Eid before and someone who has not lost my mother, I, that's absolutely how I felt listening to that poem is that it still like resonated with me and still like was very deeply touching. Um, so yeah, i I feel like you hit the nail right on the head with, with talking about that. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, so really quick, let's cut to Abby for a quick Mabel's Fast Fact. Did you know that nurse practitioners provide abortion care in Maine? While providing abortion care is within the scope of practice of nurse practitioners, two-thirds of U.S. states have physician-only laws banning nurse practitioners from providing abortion services. Learn more at MabelWatsworth.org. All right, and now we are back. So we talked a bit about themes, of course, and, you know, loss and grief, and then a lot of your own kind of personal experience, Blackness being Muslim, uh, as being themes that pop up in your poetry. What would you say are some of your biggest inspirations for your poetry? And how does that vary from theme for you? Because obviously those things can be really closely related. Yeah, you know, I think, um, ooh, inspiration. So I am deeply inspired by other writers. You know, I grew grew up, um, my my mother loved words. Um, She loved poetry. She was a writer. I didn't didn't really learn, learn about her writing until I was like a teenager, but she was a writer as a young person. And, um, and she, um, was my first 
she was the pathway to my, my, my first introduction to um, black women writers, many of them who were queer. Um, and, and, and that is where like a lot of my inspiration comes from, to be honest, my mother, I still have her copy of um, the collection, this bridge called my back, which um, um, is a collection of writings. Like it's really, um, it's a foundational connection of writings by, by, um, women of color in the, I think late seventies, early eighties. Um, Audrey Lord is in, in that collection. Sherry Moraga is in that collection. Um, I think maybe June Jordan is in that collection. Um, you know, she also had, um, a copy of, um, oh, I'm going to get it wrong, but some of us were brave. I think it's something like some of us were, were women, some of us were white, but then some of us are brave. I'm getting it wrong, but it's still another collection from that era of um, Barbara Johnson, of um, um, I think Nikki Giovanni's in that collection. So all of these black women writers who, um, some of them who identified as feminists, some of them who maybe didn't, um, but were writing about blackness, were writing about queerness, were writing about their politics in these powerful ways. And that is like, you know, even though I was like a very, you know, I was born in 76. So that, and I, I mean, I grew up in the eighties, but I wasn't, I, you know, I connect to that moment, even though like I didn't start thinking about words in this kind of way, oh, the 90s or whatever. I still I will always go back to Audre Lorde for my inspiration. Um, I'm also inspired by um, uh, newer poets like I just got um, Jericho Brown's book, the um, one, the Pulitzer Prize, the tradition. I haven't opened it up yet, but I can't wait to read it. Um, there, um, or Morgan Parker is another. Oh, I think I actually have one of um, Morgan Parker's books behind me. Um, let me go grab it. Hold on. See if it's in one. Is it, there are more beautiful things than Beyonce. Yes, that's such a good one. Yes. Um, this is one I will. Um, so, Samat, as we have talked about, I'm also just doing like a general feminist poetry episode, which the plan is that that will be airing. So listeners will have already heard it by the time that they're listening to this episode. Um, and I will be talking about Morgan Parker because there's some stuff from that I really love. Um, are you familiar with Travis Alabanza at all? No, I think you would love them. I have their chap book. Um, before I step outside, you love me. Okay. Um, I can, you all can't see the cover. I'm looking at the cover and it looks so interesting. Okay. Yes. Uh, I cannot recommend another chap book enough. And then also just kind of in this vein of similar ish, um, mm. poets, um, but one who has been doing poetry for a while. Um, are you familiar with Stacey and Chin? Yes, yes. Okay. I would have been really surprised if you weren't. Um, no, I oh, I got introduced to her stuff back when I was like 18 and before she had any of her poetry actually published. And I had, you know, seen her stuff on YouTube and read her autobiography. And I just, 
uh, sorry, yeah. I, side note, I just was like, oh, hey, Morgan Parker, I have that book. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think <laughs> I just feel like um, this, is, this is why poetry is so important. It's like the thing, like it's just so, it's just so power. It's, I don't know. I, well, I mean, I guess it's not accessible for all people, but mm. so I don't want to pretend like I, I don't, there are lots of poets who write poetry that doesn't feel accessible, but, but right. I feel like it's such a, it's such a backdrop for so many like political movements. Yes. So, so many, so many like movement moments, I think. And, um, I think so many of us can point to a moment where we were like, this poem or this poet is made me made me feel something made me think something and it like shifted my perspective um so i'm so excited about your episode it's so awesome yes i uh yeah i just there's yeah so much with poetry like i can think of you know not not just stacy and chin's work there's other poets who i really love who have impacted me a lot but but she is definitely one who has um, impacted me a ton, not just as um, a poet myself, but as as a feminist and how, you know, mm -hmm. poetry, like you said, it's such a backdrop for political movements. Obviously, you've named a ton of phenomenal poets who have, you know, really influenced you and inspired you. Would you be able to pick a favorite or is that is that too hard to try? Because I wouldn't blame you if it's too hard to try. Aspen, I cannot pick a favorite anything to be <laughs> honest with you. And I, this is Relatable. not about, I am not about, this is not, I don't have any Libra in my chart as far as I know. Um, and no, ooh, no, I'm not trying to shade any Libras, but, but it's not <laughs> me being indecisive. It's just like, it feels very fine. What I do have is some, I have some Sagittarius, so maybe that's what this, anyway, I can't settle on the one thing because that feels too final. Um, and so like, I prefer like a top three, but even that right now, I think I don't, I don't know that I can pick three. I mean, I would say yes, June Jordan, mm -hmm. yes, word. Um, but I, I, I feel like I'm always constantly being moved. I mean, I'm also, I'm also writing poetry with this group of, of poets. We actually have a reading tonight, which is April 28th, which when this airs, it will be in the past, which makes it seem like we're kind of magicians and oh, our time lords. I don't really know. Um, and but I've been writing with this group of poets and we're all um, black, brown, um, queer, non-binary um, folks. And they inspire me like we have been doing this for the second year we're doing we're celebrating national poetry month by trying to share a poem each day and you know that is intense and if we you know no pressure if we can't we can't but um and so i'm getting to read poetry by by every day that i've never read before um by these writers who i just think are such brilliant amazing writers and um and that inspires me you know and helps me put my butt in the chair sometimes i yeah i unfortunately i can't make it to the poetry thing tonight because i had other plans which i'm 
honestly upset about, but, um, yeah, it just makes me think back to, you know, I took a few writing classes when I was in college and being around other people who are writing, like you said, it's so inspirational and it really helps you to, to write more. Um, speaking of poems and writing more, would you like to share another of your poems with us? Sure. Um, so I'm going to share this poem called for, for Adrian Rich, um, thinking about, you know, feminist writers from the 70s and 80s. Um, I've also heard people call pronounce her name Adrian Rich, which I, I, I don't know. I always know it as Adrian Rich. Um, I've only heard it as Adrian Rich, but I'm not an expert on name pronunciation by any stretch. So I don't know. So um, so I'm going to pronounce it the way that I have mostly heard it pronounced, Adrian Rich. And this poem, I wrote it, I wrote it around the time when um, there were, I mean, there are always waves of, of people moving across borders, always, always. But this was like all eyes on the wave of, of people who were moving from Central Africa through South America and up to the um, and um, for whatever reason, I was thinking about her book, Dream of a Common Language. Mm. I guess that's probably enough. Um, that's probably enough introduction to this poem. Uh, so this poem is called For Adrian Rich. You tell us that we have the drive to connect the dream of a common language that no one sleeps in this room without the dream of a common language. But how do you dream of a common language when you are surrounded by faces that do not know you? There are those who have been in this room for a lifetime who dream stories and languages that aren't written down in this place. I once heard a story about a man with dementia who walked into an industrial bread mixer. No grand metaphor here, just a man, dazed and confused, lost his way, walked through a door and a door and a door and off a ledge, found himself trapped in a concave well, mixed in with remnants, yeast and flour. Can you imagine the smoothness of the walls, the futility of motion, the fear giving way to surrender? And so, as the story goes, he tired and laid still at the bottom of the basin in the fetal position. This is how they found him, covered in white, fetal and flower. How could he explain his journey? What led him to leave his home to walk through a door and a door and a door? What language to describe what compelled him? How does he respond to the why, to the how? <laughs> How can we name a common language that makes him intelligible to these faces that surround him? How do I wrap my tongue around that, Adrian? You tell us that language cannot do everything. You tell us that no one lives in this room without confronting the whiteness of the wall behind the poems. For a moment, think of whiteness and think of walls. For a moment, Think of other journeys, think of other migrations, of collective movement, of diaspora. Know that migration is beautiful, migration is human, migration is animal. 
hold in your mind a tapestry. Know that behind the poetry of promise is something ominous, barbs and teeth that will shred the tapestry, reconfigure it into a new likeness, translate it beyond recognition, that will scoff at dreams, will deny common language, will bark out how and why, will bruise and break. I cannot conjure a common language that will save us. I don't know what to tell you, Adrian. Thank you. I, again, goosebumps, big surprise. Um, your work has that effect on me. I also just like from a, I guess like technical standpoint, I just have to say, I really love the way that you used repetition in this. I feel like repetition in poetry can be so powerful and it's probably not the thing our listeners are like most interested in, in feminist poetry, but it is something I wanted. Um, to just point out and, and how hmm. I love that. Um, and I think that this poem leads in perfectly to the next question I had for you, which is when it comes to art, a lot of people hold this attitude that, you know, art should not be political, you know, whether we are talking about poetry or painting, what are your thoughts on that? I think, you know, we've probably gotten some idea of those thoughts. And, you know, how does that relate to your feelings on the power of poetry? Yeah. Yes, I think you know my opinion of that. I think that poetry, you know, uh, I mean, I think that if we, you know, so if we're going to talk about like the, the the feminist movement, you know, the the group of of people and thinkers and activists and folks who name themselves, oh, we are, we are, you know, in the 60s, 70s, whatever, 60s, 70s, 80s, who were like, we are feminists. This is who we are. You know, they, they, they coined that phrase, like the, you know, Robin, whatever her name is, um, coined that frame, the personal is political. And so, um, and so if you just take that kind of idea, uh, I mean, of course, poetry is going to be political. That's a, that's how I think feel about it because our lives are political, particularly people who are, um, who are you know, black, brown, queer, trans, uh, you know, coming from other countries who have been, um, you know, marginalized by by mainstream society. Like our our lives are political. I mean, I think. Um, and so, you know, you can, you can, um, you can, you can write poems, I think, that maybe aren't necessarily political, but even the, like, when I think about something like nature poetry, right? Mm. When we think about people who write nature poetry, we tend to think about, um, uh, maybe we think about Mary Oliver, who I love, 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 love. Um, uh, I don't know if maybe some people think about Robert Frost, who I do not love, 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 love. Um, I resonate with everything you're saying. <laughs> we don't think about Black people who write nature poetry, although they do. I mean, um, Camille Dungy has, I may be pronouncing her name wrong, D-U-N-G-H-Y, has a, an entire collection of African-American nature poems that spans um, decades, decades and decades. But we don't... Um, but we don't think about black people writing nature poetry and 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 so i think there's a way 
Like just in that, we expect black people to write about maybe being black, which is lots of black people do. Um, um, and so there's a way that just the act of writing about about the rain falling, you know, the rain falling um, can can be a political thing. It can be um, um, carving a space out in this like niche of nature poetry and saying that black writers belong here. And that is that is a political thing, you know, even so like, you know, the writing of poetry itself or the just the or the thinking about canons of poetry, all of that stuff is all political. Um, so. Yeah. So, yeah. I totally, I totally agree with that. And really what I have found is that, you know, folks who assert that, you know, art is not political or that poetry shouldn't be political um, are, you know, predominantly white people, predominantly white men uh, who just, you know, for them, political is something that they can choose to engage in or not. Like for them, it's just a thought experiment. And like you said, you know, for black people to write poetry about nature, you know, that is in and of itself political. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Thank you for answering um, that question. And let's cut to Abby again for another quick Mabel's fast fact. Mabel Wadsworth Center is the furthest north publicly available health center that offers the in-clinic abortion procedure in Maine. Learn more at mabelwadsworth.org. All right, and we are back. Um, So I do want to talk just a little bit more about, um, you know, kind of what we were saying with art being political, um, And I think great example of how, um, you know, political can be kind of like a very nebulous definition. You know, what does that really mean? Uh, With that in mind, you know, how would you say that your identities influence your writing? And that's whether we're talking about uh, in overt ways, like the topic of a poem or more covert ways. So for uh, listeners, overt is something that's more uh, obvious, more openly stated. So like, um, your poem, uh, Eid al-Fitr, uh, from 2018, you know, that kind of is really obvious about your identity being Muslim because it talks about Eid, um, and covert would be things that are more subtle. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I think that Adrian Rich was maybe a little bit more covert because I didn't say specifically I am. This is a, you know, in the poem, I didn't say I'm thinking about folks who are, you know, this poem is about folks who are migrating. Yeah. And also, I'm hoping that we can get back. I don't know if I answered like my my feelings back to whatever you want. So um, so. I, I think that we could have just a lovely little back and forth about the power of poetry, I think. Yeah. Um, my identities, yes, they, uh, you know, I think I, um, so there are two things I feel like I'm good at doing right now with my writing. I'm good at writing. I mean, I'm, you know, good. Like it's a, it's a, when I say good, I just mean like, it's what I do. I don't, I don't know. If I, but, I um, think you're phenomenal, but continue. 
it's what I do. It's what I feel most comfortable doing um, is writing like abstract poetry. That's a little bit like that's that's maybe a little bit confusing, like seeing seeing something like I wrote this poem about cormorants, which are those um, sea birds that are all black and they kind of look like Loch Ness monsters sitting up on a. I saw a bunch of them sitting up on a telephone wire and it just made all these images pop into my head. Mm-hmm. And so I wrote a poem that is a little abstract and might be a bit confusing to people. Or I'm good at writing, you know, I write things that are, that are, that relate to, to me, who I am, my experiences, my feelings, my, yes. And so my identity, um, you know, or maybe my knowledge base, those are the two things. And I, and so I'm deeply, my identities deeply influence my writing. I also, you know, there are times where I feel like, um, you know, I think of, I also imagine an audience sometimes when I'm writing, and usually that audience is going to be Black people, um, sometimes Muslims, um, but more often than not, it's Black people. And so, um, and so, I often think to myself, like, <laughs> even though it may be, I may be writing something that any one particular Black person may not identify with, mm-hmm. I just, I just think to myself, like, this is, I'm about to, you know, I'm going to, I just think, you, you know, I'm, I'm expressing some sort of Blackness that, like, that somebody's going to identify with. Like I have this great poem that I loved writing. That's about like, I went to my high school reunion, which I never thought I would do my 25th <laughs> high school reunion. And, um, and I wrote it shortly after that. And it's all about all these like black folks that, you know, I went to school with and, and how I'm now here in Maine. And I don't see any, you know, first of all, I don't see any of those people, but then I don't see, you know, I was raised surrounded by black people and I don't have that same experience now. And so, and I think that there are lots of black people in Maine who might go, yes, like it's not that exact thing, but yes. Um, so, um, um, and then if I am writing some a poem that is like overtly political, um, usually it is gonna be about race or about gender. Um, 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 and, um, and my identity, you know, being embodied as a, you know, as a person who identifies as a cis woman, a black cis woman, and, a, um, it's gonna, it's gonna inform all of those things. Yeah, that totally, like, that, that makes sense, you know, who you are is going to influence your writing, even if that's not like the specific topic, like you mentioned, you know, that poem about the cormorants. Mm-hmm. Um, am I getting this bird species right? I'm so bad at bird species. Okay. Um, yeah. Like, you know, even though that's a poem about these birds, like, you know, your unique lived experience is going to shape what's on the page. It's like, you know, when someone's in a writing class and everyone's given the same prompt, no one writes the same poem. Um, So, I mean, even just for that fact alone, that absolutely makes sense. And yeah, particularly when you then look at more kind of overt 
um, poetry topics of things around identity. Yeah. And, you know, I think, you know, maybe this is a good dovetail into like the power of poetry. I mean, I think that I think that I, I find the poems that move me the most or the poems that, that I read that I find that people are the most moved by them are the ones that, that tap into some aspect of that person's identity. And, you know, like going back to what we talked about with loss and grief, you know, maybe it is their identity as a, you know, I, I don't know. Um, well, I'll just use my personal, like as someone who lost a parent, you know, at a relatively young age. Mm-hmm. Um, when I find that if I'm writing from that place and it is as authentic as I feel like I can muster at that moment, um, that is that can be a very powerful moment for someone else who's listening to it. Um, you know, and I feel like that's part of the power of poetry, that ability to connect uh, from that authentic place. Yeah, no, I think that I think that is something that makes sense. And, you know, the power of poetry with, you know, between prepping for this episode of Repro Left and prepping for the other feminist poetry episode, it's something that has been on my mind a lot because, you know, the poems that I'm selecting for that other episode are really, you know, focused on what has really moved me, what has been really powerful. And I think, yeah, like you said, I think regardless of the specific topic, when a poet is writing from that place of personal experience and vulnerability, I think that's where a lot of power in poetry can can come in. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, you know more about Stacey uh, and Chin's poetry than I, I mean, it, it sounds like it than, than I do, but I, I imagine, um, I mean, her, her poetry is that way as well. Like that, mm-hmm. I mean, poetry is very, very powerful. It's very, I experience it as being very, um, being very emotionally charged mm-hmm. and, and, and I can, I connect to it and relate to it. And I imagine it did the same thing for you, like her early poetry, right? Yeah, definitely. And, and also just her presence when she performs is so electrifying. Like she just has so much presence. Mm. I haven't, I don't think I've seen her. I've never seen her perform live. Have you? I have not. I wish. Um, I have seen Andrea Gibson perform live and I actually got to meet them and I thought I was going to die. Um, I would love to see Stacey and Chin perform live. So far, it's just YouTube. I can understand uh, getting a bit of the vapors. If- <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely got a bit of the vapors um, meeting Andrea Gibson. Uh, they're great. They, I mean, they're, I don't know, they're stage present. I mean, I've never seen them live, but I've, I've, I've heard, I know many other people who have, and they all mm-hmm. are like stage presence is just phenomenal. I, oh, I've yeah. seen, seen the videos. That's all I have videos. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would say the, the live was pretty, pretty true to what I'd seen with videos on like YouTube and such. 
Which is another thing that's so interesting with poetry, because obviously so much of poetry like is taken in almost better when it's written on the page um, Mm. because, you know, there can be things done with punctuation or spelling to communicate kind of like double meaning of things that you lose a bit when speaking out loud. But then also poetry that is performed has so many other layers that you can build into it with like tone and of course, like stage presence and body language. So I feel like that really shows kind of the, I guess, the versatility of poetry, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, particularly in the, you know, the current day where, where we can take videos and share them where obviously a hundred years ago, that just wasn't an option. Yeah. And we will not go down this. uh, I'm really bad with America, you know, us, those sayings or whatever. So I'm going to get this wrong. We will not go down a bunny path. Uh, but I don't know if that's what it's called. Um, but what you just brought up is like the, as a huge, like the difference between like the written on the page poem or poets who, who tend to write the, write the, you know, who tend to create poetry that is meant to be read, read and the, the performance poetry or poets who create poetry that's meant to be performed mm-hmm. and, a whole that is a political thing i i get um and i think that here in maine in particular you can it is very stark the division um and we could talk forever about that um because um i always want to ask well who's on one side and who's on the other side where are the young people where are the queer people where are the trans people where are the where are the black and brown people which side and which are we which which type are we saying which type are we elevating and i have so many that we will not get to but i agree with you i also have thoughts and feelings on that which unfortunately we won't be able to get into today but i think this is a good segue if you want to um share the last poem that you were going to share with us today oh okay so this poem is actually a great poem to end on because i think it 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 takes into account all of the things that you're talking that you were asking or we were talking about in terms of identity um so this is a poem that I wrote um, just last week um, after the murder of Makia Bryant. Yeah. Uh, and um, I have to say that I, along with most, uh, all the black people that I talked to were, were bereft, particularly um, black people who are identify as women were mm. bereft. I was raised in Columbus, Ohio. Um, she was, and that's where the, the murder took mm. place. Um, and so her murder makes me think about my niece. She was a baby. My niece is 13. Um, made me think about all of the young black women I grew up with who, um, you know, did whatever they needed to do to defend themselves. Um, and it just made me think of all those things. And um, I was bereft and I'm, it took me many days to, to deal with the grief of her murder. So the name of this poem is Makia Bryant, who was killed by cops in my hometown 30 minutes before George Floyd's murderer, murderer was finally declared guilty. Hey. How are you sitting since that verdict came down? 
you know, I don't even know. I can't call it. It's been about five minutes since I heard and I still feel so heavy and empty. It's like, oh, hang on, sis. I got another call coming through. And so I'm realizing after I read this, I'm realizing that this is a poem that probably makes more sense written, read, or or performed differently. Um, I know we're about to talk about other poets, but um, a poet that I love collaborating with here in Maine is Maya Williams. And when they read their poetry and they're, and it's a, like a dialogue mm-hmm. and you read it, they like switch places. And it's so, it's so fantastic. Um, and I, you cannot, that's what needs to happen because with, with this poem, because there's someone is asking a question, someone responds, and then that, and then it goes back to the person who's getting the other phone call. And I ha- on the page, it's like italics. When I'm reading it, you probably know that. And I, just I think really- it comes across well, but I also I do understand that's where just reading poetry and not having any visual element of like you know, that it's a dialogue or like, like Maya does being able to kind of like move around, um, can be tricky. I think I, you know, I could hear that it was a dialogue, but I do get what you mean. Yes. Well, um, I think you want to ask me about other poets and things. Yeah, we can, we can move to, um, talking about other poets. Obviously we've talked about other poets, Um, as far as like inspiration and you've talked a bit about, you know, like the phenomenal poetry event that you have tonight, which listeners, this will have been in the past when you hear it. Um, but so outside of, you know, what we've already talked about, or if you just want to elaborate on that more, what has your experience been with the poetry world and other poets? Um, so yeah, just to, to plug, I think that this poetry, so this is the event that we are talking about is a, the kickoff for the Maine Humanities Council's Poetry Express mm. uh, program. And I do believe it will be recorded. So you might oh, be able to go. Marvelous. Um, so my experience with, you know, so it's so interesting because I really am truly just like getting back to it after 20, you know, uh, just in 2017, like I, the first poem that I wrote after that big long hiatus, um, was in 2017. And, um, I've been like really deliberate. I've been like trying really hard to, to push myself to share my poetry. Mm whenever I'm asked and to make space to share my poetry. Like it's, it's, it's a, this is a, this is a vulnerability project for me. Mm. Uh, And, um, and, and I, and I'm doing it regardless of like the poetry world in Maine. Um, I do have a group of poets who I love and there are, and you know, who are represented in that group that I'm, I'm reading with, but then there are other poets um, who I deeply appreciate and love collaborating with like Gibson Flay Blanc and Jeffrey, uh, Jefferson Novicki, who I just, I just really love their poetry and they have been gracious and generous with me as more established poets. Um, but, you know, because this is very personal, I kind of sort of like I know that there are all these different poet circles here in Maine and I've just been like trying to collect and be among the poets who I, the writers who I 
love and respect and want to, you know, want to roll with regardless of how much how published they are or where where they're you know like where they're performing and all this kind of thing um i have been very very fortunate and very very privileged in that i have been able to people have asked me to invited me to perform to contribute to collections um and that's been really wonderful. Um, I was, so my chat book, I did not expect to write a chat book. I was like, the first thing I'm going to do is just write a bunch and try to publish in journals. And I thought that that was the way. And then I was like, and then one day I will write a book maybe. Um, And I didn't envision a chat book, but I was accepted into this art cycle called, um, it's a, I don't know, it's an, it's a project called A Clearing. uh, um, and Meg and Alana are the two founders of the clearing and um, a bunch of different kinds of artists are accepted into each cycle but as a writer I had to produce something and I was like what do I produce I guess I produce a chat book <laughs> and so last year um, was me writing a chat book which is so bizarre because I was like I don't know what I'm doing I have some poems. I guess I'm going to put them in a together. And anyway, but it was a beautiful, um, like I said, I've published many things, but nothing this personal, nothing, Mm. nothing like this. And I've never put together a book of my own. And so um, that's just been really exciting. And I don't know where it's going to go from there. I'm just trying to stay true to my, like, this is about me being vulnerable. And whatever else comes out of it is like whatever else comes out of it. Like I have some community now I have some, but um, I'm trying to like keep my ego measured with it and not be like, you know, not be like, I'm going to, I want to be the, I don't know, you know, the, the, the next fancy pants poet of Maine. Like I'm not, I'm not, or whatever it is, I'm not interested really in any of that because this is just the thing that I need to do for myself. Um, cool. Yeah, I I mean, I personally, what I have heard of your poetry, I love. I still need to get my hands on that chat book. It's on my list of things to do. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for joining me on Reproductive Left today. Was there any last thoughts that you wanted to share before we close out for our listeners? Um, no, I mean, I think, you know, we are recording this in the, at the, towards the end of National Poetry Month. Mm. Um, I, the only thing I, I want to just invite people to do is to um, bring more poetry into your life. Yes. Um, you know, bring there, there are so many writers out there, um, just to bring more poetry into your life. And if you can, um, bring the poetry of like, of voices that you just don't normally hear from. I mean, you're welcome to read Robert Frost or T.S. Eliot, who I actually don't dislike T.S. Eliot. I mean, his writing, I don't know about his person, but, um, but like, uh, you know, explore young, you know, queer writers, like, you know, just, there's just so much. Agreed. Yeah, there is so, so much amazing 
poetry out there, including amazing feminist poetry. So Matt, thank you again so much for joining me. And thank you listeners for listening to Reproductive Left.